welcome to Legend Lore 2nd Edition, where we talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I'm Lauren, and I've been playing RPGs for 20 years now. I've contributed to multiple Pathfinder blogs and podcasts, and I'm currently a graduate student in the field of animal intelligence. And my very good friend and previous co-host of Legend Lore, Luis, was promoted to the creative director of lore of Pathfinder. Good news for Luis, bad news for Legend Lore, or at least it would be bad news if I wasn't so honored to introduce Jessica Redekop as my new co-host for Legend Lore. Jess, I only know you as a prolific contributor to the Pathfinder canon and a co-cast member of the upcoming No Direction actual play, The Tavern Rats. But why don't you tell the listeners a bit more about you? Hello. I'm Jess. I'm a tabletop RPG freelancer and frequent contributor to the Pathfinder and Starfinder games. I've been playing tabletop and live-action role-playing games for a little over 20 years, and I've worked in the industry for five, writing two dozens of Paizo products. I played Ziadani, the Azamar Druid, on the Valiant Actual Play podcast, and like Lauren said, I'm also a cast member on the Tavern Rats podcast, a new Pathfinder 2 actual play show that we're putting together for the No Direction Network. Now this week on Legend Lore, we will be talking about uh, getting started with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Now, listeners, the reason we're going back to basics may be obvious to some of you, to those who aren't. It's because there was a little bit of a controversy in involving things in the community. And right now, there's a lot of people that are checking out Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So we wanted to kind of give you a little, a little bit of an introduction. Let us be your host to getting started in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Now, Jess... Where's the best place for people who are new to the system? To Where's the best place for them to get started? Yeah, there's a lot of options on ways to get started with Pathfinder, and there are a lot of different ways that you can access the rules as well. And some of these can be a little bit overwhelming. I know that with some other games, maybe you're limited to buying physical copies of books, and while you can get physical copies of books with Pathfinder, you can also buy them as PDFs, and then they're just PDFs that you have access to on your computer forever. Because Pathfinder 2 is published under the Open Gaming license currently, that also means that as Open Gaming content, it's available for everyone to read for free online. So the archives of Nethys are available for free with all of the rules that appear in Pathfinder books. For those familiar with D&D Beyond, we also have Demiplane, which is a uh, website service that is, it was created by the creators of D&D Beyond bef uh, after D&D Beyond was sold to Wizards of the Coast. So it's the same people creating a very similar product. You can get access to Pathfinder core rulebooks there. And so with this overwhelming array of options to access all of the different Pathfinder books, should you start with everything at the same time? Or is it better to start only with the core rule books? Well, I will say that my favorite way to start is with Path Builder. Because as a, I think most of you listening to this are probably players. Mm -hmm. As a player, 
it's kind of fun to just get into the system without worrying about where all the different things come from and maybe just seeing what's there, you know? And PathBuilder does such a good job. The application is free, but variant rules uh, are, I think, 5 or $6 one time, and then they're always available after that. But I like it because you can go into PathBuilder. You can click on the class button, and a list drops down of all the classes, of all the ancestors, of all the archetypes, of all whatever it is that you want, and you just can build everything from your list. Now, this said, I do think it helps to kind of stick to some of the things that are maybe core, at least in the very beginning, because the fighter is not too hard to run. The wizard is intuitive if you've played these kinds of games before, but some of the classes, they might be a little bit more difficult to get into. Yeah, it can be really overwhelming. I agree that Path Builder is great, first of all. It is an excellent character building tool that is going to walk you through step by step the process of creating a character for Pathfinder 2, and it's going to make sure that you don't forget or miss any steps as well because it'll have a little box for you to click in for every step along the way so that you'll know what the next thing you're doing is, and you'll be able to see all of the choices that you've made about your character already. But Path Builder, while by default it does have all of the options right in there, it's also a great way to get started with only the core rulebook, because you can go into the settings for the character that you're creating, and you can choose individually which books you want to include. So you can set your path builder to only include the core options, or if you want the core rules plus the, maybe maybe you're playing one of the Paizo Adventure Paths, and then you can set your path builder to have the core rulebook plus the player's guide that was released for that adventure path. So you'll have all of the core rulebook options plus the unique backgrounds introduced for that specific adventure path. But Lauren, how do you create a Pathfinder 2 character and what is a background? Well, gosh, Jess, we have so much to cover that I, th I think I'm just going to hit this very briefly. The way you build a character in Pathfinder 2nd Edition is you follow the ABCs of character creation. A being ancestry, B being background, C being class, and D for don't forget your four free boosts. Meaning that you'll pick what ancestor you want to be. Do you want to be a dwarf? Do you want to be an elf? Do you want to be a Kanrasu? Learn more about that later. Then you pick your background. This should be familiar to most folks coming from other game systems. What? How did you grow up? Were you a baker? Were you a mercenary? And then finally you pick what will be your core class. Now... I, I, there's so much more I want to hit on with core class, but it's going to have to wait till later. Lastly, your four free boosts. This is where you'll take, you'll pick four of your abilities. You'll give them plus two to those, to those four abilities to represent kind of the influence that you want to have over this character. Maybe you pick dwarf, baker, and fighter. But how is your dwarf, baker, fighter different than somebody else's dwarf, baker, fighter? This is one way you can start to show that in just the ability scores before we even get into the next thing, the feats. Yeah, Pathfinder 2 has multiple different types of feats. For your ancestry, like being a dwarf or an elf, you will be able to customize the way that you, the way that your ancestry impacts your character by choosing ancestry feats. 
And so this will be things like your elven weapon familiarity that makes you proficient with bows and rapiers. You can pick that on your elf character as one of your ancestry feats. Or if you'd rather have something else, you can take whatever that is too, as long as it's one of the elf ancestry feats. Class feats are the way that you customize uh, a given class. So in like D&D 5e, you would pick your subclass and then that would lock you in to the choices uh, all throughout your class progression. Whereas in Pathfinder 2, every second level you can choose a class feat and that lets you customize the way that your class is. Skill feats, likewise, are ways to add options that you can use with your skills or to make your skills more potent. So, for example, the Intimidating Glare skill feat uh, gives you the additional ability to intimidate people just by looking at them, so you don't have to talk to them. So you can use Intimidate with Intimidating Glare on something like an animal that doesn't speak the same language as you. And then the last type of feat is a general feat, which is going to be the same types of feats that you would have in D&D 5th edition, things like your toughness or your fleet to increase your movement speed. These are just, as they say, general feats. Now, I remember back in, back when second edition first came out, I remember Jason Bowman talking about the reasons we have these different types of feats. Mm-hmm. He was always, he was talking about how in Pathfinder first edition, you would have all of these cool feats that might give you a bonus to stealth or a bonus to diplomacy, but you didn't take them. You took weapon focus mm-hmm. or you took toughness. You sure did. Mm-hmm. So he described them as, he described what we have in second edition as these buckets of feats. I don't know if that's still used, but I still use it. Mm-hmm. And so then Pathfinder second edition says uh, every second level you get a class feat. Every however many levels you get a skill feat, you get a general feat, you get an ancestry feat. That way you don't have to sacrifice one aspect of your character for the sake of being the best at all times. You can have the best of both worlds this time or I guess in this case more the best of all four worlds yeah it was very frustrating in previous editions of Pathfinder and in various editions of other games as well Uh, just pretending that something like weapon focus or toughness was uh, going to have a comparable mechanical impact on your character as skill focus Like, these things were not equal. Some options were better than others. And and so the result of that would be characters who just don't take things like skill focus. But by separating skill feats out to be their own separate bucket of things, now, even if you're a fighter and you're spending all of your fighter class feats on fighting, and you're spending all of your general feats on, like, toughness and things that make you a better fighter, and you have ancestry feats that are making you a tougher, better fighter, you still get to take skill feats you're not locking yourself out of them you still get access to them like any other character because you have this reserved pool that is only for your skill feats now jess here's a question i have because i've always really liked goblins Mm -hmm. and i've always really liked fire or like the fire gonna say is there any way i can have both of those in second edition oh you sure can One of the ways that you can customize your ancestry in Pathfinder 2nd Edition is by picking a heritage. This is going to be things that would be like sub-races in D&D. So like your elf has a winter elf or a cavern elf heritage that you can take, 
But instead of one of the elf heritages or one of the goblin heritages for your goblin character, you can take something called a versatile heritage, which is a special heritage that can be taken by any ancestry. And the versatile heritages is where you're going to find all of the plain touched. This is where your tiefling is, your Azimar, and then Pathfinder does have uh, elemental planar scions. For your fire genasi, you're going to want to be an ifrit, but there are equivalents for the other elements as well. The undine are water elemental, the sylphs are air, and the... <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> stupid earth. I hate you, Earth. What are you called? Why didn't Why didn't you Oriad? Why didn't you just God. move on? And the Oriads are the Earth elemental plane touched, and so you can be one of those no matter what ancestry you are. In addition, Pathfinder does this thing. It's kind of the whole theme of Pathfinder. Then is that all of the base options are there, and then you have let's say an outer ring of cool fantasy things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fantasy adjacent themes like the like these elemental kin. But then Pathfinder says, you know, let's go ahead and shove some just crazy stuff in there so that people can have that. One of the versatile heritages that I'm just crazy about is Beastkin, where if, if you want to be a werewolf, here, just slap Beastkin on whatever build. You're whatever were-critter you want to be now. Pathfinder also has flesh warps. I don't think I need to explain myself. Yeah, flesh warps are kind of cool. All right, so... That's how you can kind of make sure that the DNA, the bare bones of the physical, who your character is, like what the, what their body is. You can figure that all out with the versatile heritages. But my personal favorite thing about Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and my husband also says this is his personal favorite thing about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Even though he's the most grognard man I've ever met in my entire life, he was like, you know, you guys really sold me on the archetype system. Oh, yeah. The archetype system is fantastic. Archetype is going, to, is going to be where you can really customize your character. Because as much as there might be like five different uh, class feed options at any given level for your class for you to customize your character with, what if you just don't want to take one of your class feeds at that level? What if you want to do something real weird with your character? That's where archetypes come in. Archetypes are options that you can take instead of one of your class feats that let you branch out into a specific theme for your character. Some of these might be like fighting styles. Like the uh, the fighter has a lot of two-weapon fighting abilities. But what if you want to be a two-weapon fighter rogue? There's also a two-weapon fighter archetype that any character class can take to gain access to some of the two-weapon fighting feats that existing classes might have, but also some new abilities for two-weapon fighting. Similarly, there's an archer archetype that lets you take archery-focused feats. And then there are some like the dandy that let you take... I was going to ask if you knew anything about the dandy, Jess. I know a lot about the dandy. I can only reveal some of what I know about the dandy. I wish you would reveal all of what you know about the dandy. Sadly, I cannot. But the dandy is a great way, like we were saying earlier about how previous editions of the game had like weaker options where like if you're a fighter, you're going to feel pressured into taking weapon focus. Dandy is a great way that no matter what class you are, 
you can still be like a deceptive, diplomatic kind of social face character by using the dandy archetype to supplement the skill feats and special abilities that you have access to. So like dandy, celebrity, linguist, all examples of archetypes that are going to give you maybe some more skill-oriented abilities or things that are going to push you into a particular character archetype versus just a fighting style. All right, Jess, you're at a convention. There's a ton of people around. Somebody comes up to you, and they've got a foam sword, Mm -hmm. and they threaten you with it, saying, Mm -hmm. if you can't give me a ballpark of how many archetypes there are in the game, they will foam sword you. What do you think? How many, how many archetypes would you guess? There's so many. I have no idea how many there actually are. Oh, goodness. Yeah, there are a lot of them. There's been a YouTube series that's been trying to go through all of the archetypes and, like, review all of them. And they've had to do, like, maybe two letters per episode. And these are, like, three-hour episodes. There are so many of these things. At least 100, right? Oh, I, I would feel confident saying at least 100. Because not only are there the like the acrobats and Poisoner is one of my favorites. Yeah, Poisoner, you got the martial, you got the martial artist. Not only do we have these kind of concept focused um, archetypes, there's also class archetypes that are going to let you take class feats and other special abilities that normally belong to other classes. And this is how you would use uh, Pathfinder 2's archetype system to create a multi-class character. This is a great way for... Hmm, I'll just say the archetype system in general, with the combination of these multi-class specific archetypes and non-multi-class specific archetypes, you can really build any character concept you can imagine in the in the system that is Pathfinder Second Edition, personally, that's my that's what I think is the greatest strength of of it. But I will say that after you're a little bit more familiar with the system, you might want to move your group into what I consider to be vanilla rules, the free archetype variant. Oh, this is contentious. Yeah, there's a lot of people that consider free archetype to be like the best way, the vanilla rules of Pathfinder, and that you should always play with free archetype. But well, who di- who disagrees with that? Well, it's not in the core rules, is it, Lauren? Jess, I swear, we just had a conversation about how the advanced player's guide is like the advanced core rules, right? Yeah. Free archetype is advanced core rules. Well... I mean, I don't dislike Free Archetype. So to be clear, Free Archetype is a variant rule introduced in the Pathfinder Game Mastery Guide, where at every even level, in addition to getting a class feat, you also get a second feat that can be spent on archetype feats. And this lets you kind of double, not the power of your character, because you're not going to get stronger necessarily through taking archetypes but you will expand the options that your character has open to them and the types of actions that your character can take because you'll be able to take one of the class feats from your chosen class that your character is 
and then also advance out into archetypes or multi-class archetypes with your character simultaneously instead of having to make a decision of which one you actually prioritize. But I don't know, I mean, maybe it's a good thing to be forced to make those hard decisions about your character and like really narrow down on what is essential to your concept. Depends on how dynamic your concept is. Some con <laughs> One thing that I really like about the multi-class system in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, especially if you're coming from a previous version of Pathfinder, Pathfinder 1st Edition, mm -hmm. or a different uh, D20 system in general, is that this multi-class system means that the core class you pick, if you pick wizard, mm -hmm. you will never be less than the best wizard you can be, no matter how many multi-class archetypes you take. So you're not, you're not going to be a wizard, pick fighter archetypes, and suddenly you don't get ninth or 10th level spells. We have those now, 10th level spells. No, you're still a full wizard, but you're also good at beating people in the face with swords. Yeah, the way that the archetype system works makes multiclassing a lot easier and a lot... It's harder to make a mistake with your character using archetypes is the main thing. In previous editions of the game and in various editions of other games, I have been, historically, a notorious multiclasser. Uh, in, like, D&D 3rd edition, it was like painful for me to make a character that didn't have a rogue multi-class because I just didn't have enough skill points otherwise to have <laughs> the number of skills that I wanted my character to have. Because like, it just feels so bad to have a character with like bad sense motive and bad perception and bad diplomacy. Like I don't care that I'm playing a fighter, I still want to have these things. And so every time I always had to take this rogue multi-class and first of all, it, it feels less necessary now. Uh, the way that skill feats work, the way that you can get uh, skill training through your background choices, all, all of that combines together where I feel less pressured to do weird things with my character to get skill proficiencies. I, I feel like I can still create like whatever class I want and still have like an, a character with some interesting skill proficiencies. Like it's It's fine now. But you're also not going to you're not you're not going to end up in situations especially with those spellcasters where because you wanted to be a fighter rogue now you just don't get the powerful spells and your spells are always like a level behind like i remember playing uh arcane tricksters and that that was rough arcane, arcane tricksters were very mad mm -hmm. so prepared casters are still pretty much how you should expect them to be if you're coming from other editions of fantasy d20 games i don't but know if, are they i heard that the fifth edition prepared casters were a little wonky well they are different they are definitely different than the way pathfinder runs it but mm -hmm. for those who prefer that way there is mm -hmm. a flexible spell caster class art type to be more like that f fifth edition prepared caster yeah but now, Jess, what, what, if you wanted to, if I wanted to pitch that to my GM, say, you know, my GM's like, hey, you know, I know we've been playing 5e, we're going to try 2e, and if you're just like, I really want to make my wizard, but I want, I, I want my old, you know, spell casting, what, what book would I bring to that GM? Yeah, the book Secrets of Magic 
introduces a special type of archetype that is a class archetype. And these are going to be archetypes where instead of necessarily taking them uh, at whatever levels you feel like instead of your class feats, you choose a class archetype at first level, and this changes the way that your class functions. Flexible Spellcaster is the archetype you would want to take to get the 5e style prepared caster, because that's going to give you a special first level ability called Flexible Spell Preparation that lets you prepare your spell slots in, in the 5e way. Gosh, but there's so many other books. There's the Core Rulebook, the Game Mastery Guide, the APG. I mean, how many beast years are we up to now? Oh yeah, Pathfinder has quite the library now, and you can categorize books into, I would say, four main categories. So you have your core books, like this, at the center of the system. This is going to be your core rulebook, your game mastery guide, your advanced player's guide, and then Bestiary 1, Bestiary 2, and Bestiary 3. And these, these are kind of like the foundation of the system. Moving out from here, in the rules line of books, you're going to find books that have specific themes. Secrets of Magic has lots of spells and spellcaster options. Guns and Gears introduces firearms and uh, mechanical construct type creatures. The Dark Archive has some kind of mysterious, occult, cursed, psychic themes. And then upcoming Rage of Elements is going to have elemental options. And so each of these books, like, if you were running a high magic campaign, you could add Secrets of Magic onto kind of your core options to just add that extra bit of magic into your campaign. Or you could add Guns and Gears to add uh, your, your guns and your various, like, clockwork options to the campaign. But these additional options aren't necessarily right for every campaign, and it's up to, you know the group and the game to decide which books you want to include. Our third option then is the Lost Omens line of books, where we focus on the lore of the Pathfinder-specific world setting, the Galarian world setting, but as much flavor is here for GMs to use against your players. There's also so many cl class options, ancestry options, feed options for your players to enjoy too. At the center of it, we have the world guide and the character guide, gods and magic, talking a lot more about the deities of Pathfinder, and one of my favorite mechanics is introduced in that, the boons and curses system, where if, if your deity is particularly unhappy with you, you might get a particularly deity-specific curse, or if you please them pretty well, maybe they'll feel, fill your sails with wind, if it may be a, a seafaring deity. We also have the Ancestry Guide, the setting books like the Mwangi Expanse and the Impossible Lands, or even books based on organizations of Pathfinder, like the Knights of Lastwall or the Firebrands. Yeah, and then Pathfinder also has the Adventure Path line, which are regular adventures that are released every month. And so Adventure Paths are connected series like a, a connected series of adventures so uh, an adventure path will be three or six volumes long and it will be a continuous adventure that goes 
over the course of those books and your characters might get to be uh, from first to 11th level or they might go all the way from first to 20 depending on how long the adventure path is. I've always enjoyed how much third-party content there is for Pathfinder. And I feel like in second edition, Paizo's made it even easier for aspiring young creatives to get that material to us via Pathfinder Infinite. Yeah, D&D 5th edition uh, has been enjoying the DMs Guild to uh, help people to publish their uh, third-party Dungeons & Dragons content for a little while now. And Pathfinder now has something... Basically the same thing, the equivalent for Pathfinder, called Pathfinder Infinite. And just like the DM skill, you'll be able to go on there to find all sorts of third-party content. So Lauren, that's a lot of different books for Pathfinder, both First Party from Paizo and all of the options on Infinite. But does Pathfinder have all of the same classes as 5th edition? We have got a lot of requests to do conversions of 5th editions. More news to come. I will say that... While the exact classes of 5th edition, most of them are here in name and in form and in function, but not all of them are. But let's let's first kind of talk about w- what you can expect between the classes that, are, that share the same names. For example, like the Barbarian. Like, it's still pretty much the same Barbarian uh, from any edition of games that have Barbarians. I think the main difference, as someone who's played a lot of 5th edition, I think that the real main difference of Barbarian is that you can rage an infinite number of times per day. And I will I will slam a little disclaimer in here, too. 5th edition has a lot of, like, well, I'll call them subclasses, where you pick, like, which Barbarian totem you want to be or, or which Bard College you want to be. Pathfinder doesn't have that and not because they chose to not have it more so that they chose to move it and make it more modular some a lot of pathfinder classes do have subclasses barbarians one you can pick your different kinds of classes but for other classes it's been fully moved into the archetype system so instead of being a bard college of swords, you could be a bard and then you'd pick an archetype that reminds you of the college of swords. Or you could be a monk who picks that same archetype just because you like it. And so barbarian's going to be the same way. Some of the barbarian subclasses that are baked into the system are there one for one. Some of them are going to be more found in the archetype system. And you're going to see that theme as we go through the rest of these 5e classes. The bard, like the barbarian, pretty similar, though uh, what you would have called bardic inspiration in 5th edition is inspire courage in Pathfinder. And like the barbarian's rage, you can use it as many times as you like. The limiting factor on inspiring courage in Pathfinder is not how many times a day you can do it, but just whether you want to spend your actions that way in a given round. Oh gosh, we're going to have to do a whole episode on just the three action system. Oh yeah. It's so good. It's so good. The cleric uh, in Pathfinder is, can be very similar to the cleric of 5th edition, if you like. I would say that the cleric of 5th edition, you get armor and you you can use shields and you can hit with your weapons you know you're very much a frontline battle cleric if you choose to build it that way 
And we ha- we have that. That's called the War p- Priest Cleric here. But we also have a second cleric option, the Cloistered Cleric, where you're more of like a wizardly, learned, scholarly cleric. You don't wear the heavy armor. You don't you don't have like long swords, but you do get more spells. Let me talk about Druid too, because oh man, if there. <laughs> If there's a point of contention a lot of people have with the 5th edition, it's the druid. Because having an entire second set of hit points is a little bonkers. Let's not let's not sugarcoat things. We've actually balanced it now in 2nd edition. Wild Shape isn't something that all druids have. You don't pray to a leaf and suddenly you can become squirrels anymore. But you can pick a wild or druid so that you can get more access to shape-shifting abilities and such. Or if, you know, you're not really into the shape-shifting kinds of druids, which I never have been, that's why I kind of always had issue with the 5e druid, you can you can go into the other things that you want to main. You can be a more plant-focused druid with the plant order. You could be a wind and weather-focused druid, my personal favorite, of the storm order. There's all kinds of these different subclasses of druid that you can be or you know you can also take the order explore feet and then go get another subclass of druid it's very cool yeah even if you start as like a flames druid you can always pick up order explorer to get wild shape later on if you want to be a flame order druid who also has wild shape because at higher levels you're going to get like elemental form to turn into elementals that's kind of cool. So you'd be like, you'd wild shape into an elemental and then do fire order stuff. That's well, you cool. can't you can't cast spells when you're wild shaped. Well, that's true, but you can buff spell first mm-hmm. and then transform. Yep. My my fire sorceress does that all the time. Yeah, it's real. It's really good. Uh, so the fighter in Pathfinder Second Edition is one of the most modular of the classes. And all of the classes are pretty modular because you get your class feet every second level and you get to pick whatever class feet you want. And the fighter is really going to let you build to do whatever type of fighting style it is that you want to do with that fighter. And it's not just about like doing the most damage either. Movement is very important in a Pathfinder 2 combat because uh, not all characters just get attacks of opportunity. It's actually only some characters that do, and the fighter is one of those characters. So not only do you have attack of opportunity to kind of control the way that enemies are moving around, but you can also use your athletic skill to trip or shove or disarm the enemies to control what they're allowed to do so like if you're next to an enemy and you trip them they're very restricted in the types of options that they can take because they have to spend actions getting up if they decide that they want to run after somebody instead of attacking you you get to punish them with an attack of opportunity like people talk about battlefield control wizard but in pathfinder 2 you can be a battlefield control fighter and it's very effective Mm -hmm. scarily so if you build it right Pole arm fighters, oh man. Oh man, I love them. Oh, and let's not forget the other thing. I I can't believe I almost forgot this. Fighters are the crit 
masters in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yes. Okay. So another Pathfinder 2 rule that we haven't mentioned yet is the four degrees of success. Because you're not only going to critical on a 20 in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. You're also in a critical anytime you beat a DC by 10. And that includes making an attack and beating an armor class by 10. Fighters are going to have one of the highest bonuses to their attack rolls in the game, which means fighters get the most crits out of any class. Crit build fighters are amazing. Now, I want to talk about the monk next. I could go all day about how much I love the fighter, and I can't do that about the monk, which is why we need to get to it. I just haven't played monks. You know, the whole, I don't need weapons. I am my own weapon. Ah, it never really appealed to me. I like I like to... Anyway, I, I got to get on to the monk. You can use your fists in almost one-to-one the same way as you can in, say, almost any other edition of a D20-based fantasy game. But here in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you're not going to find the same ways or the same subclasses as you would find in, in 5th Edition. That's not to say you can't have those things. Instead of picking one of the options provided to you at level 3 for the monk, uh, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you'll just take any of the 100 or more archetypes uh, to kind of build your own way as a monk. Another way that you can customize your monk in Pathfinder 2 is by taking stance feats. And once Hmm. you enter one of your stances, it's going to give you a particular unarmed strike that you can use while you're in that stance. And then it'll also give you some other abilities, such as the crane stance that makes it easier for you to do your high jumps and your long jumps. My favorite is how the wolf lets you trip people. Got it. God, that's great. That's that's monks. That's monks right there. You're welcome, bud. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I'll, I'll admit, this is proof here that I am truly an unbiased source. Doesn't sound like it. But I always thought that 5th edition had better paladins. I loved the way you can be any alignment. You pick a deity that you like. You pick an alignment that makes sense for that deity. We still have a lot of that here in 2nd edition. But we don't call them all paladin anymore our paladins are called champions and under the champion core class you can be any version of good or evil lawful good neutral good you know chaotic good and then etc etc for evil Uh, but in pathfinder our gods are pretty nuanced so you can even be a character who is chaotic good and in the service of a neutral evil goddess And, you know, there might be more to say about this in another podcast we have coming up soon. Something else about the way all champions work, though, is that you can use your lay on hands roughly every 10 minutes or more. It's a focus spell. Perhaps if we talk more about the specific rules of second edition, we'll do an episode on focus spells. Most of the other things baked into the Paladin class in 5th edition, they're still here if you take that feat at every even level. There's also other options you can take instead if you didn't. For example, if you weren't crazy about Divine Sense, you wanted to just be better with your shield or something, take that feat instead of our version of Divine Sense. 
Yeah, the champion is a great class to take if you're wanting to be like a, an MMO tank, because each different type of champion gets a special, unique reaction. And so that's going to let champions do things like attack enemies for attacking their allies or different stuff like that, depending on which type of champion you play. I forgot about the champion's reaction. You literally just like give your ally DR real quick. Mm -hmm. Oh, ho, ho, hold on there, bad guy. Hold on there, bad guy. Uh, I think you forgot. I'm going to push my glasses up for this. Uh, I think you forgot. Well, actually, my ally takes eight less damage. And yeah. you're weakened now, unless you unless you feel bad for your ways. Yeah, yeah. Now, I do want to talk about the 5th edition Ranger. Okay. My, because what I remember about the 5th edition Rainbow, Ranger was because I wanted to play one, and everyone warned me, you can't. It's too underpowered. But there's all of these homebrew rules you can use. Pick the homebrew rule you want to kind of balance the ranger a little bit better. You don't have to do that in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. The ranger is good to go out of the box. And what's fun about it is you get these, the three rangers edges. You can be a ranger that fo focuses in, I'd say, one shot, one kill as, as your precision ranger. You have the flurry ranger where you... you Hold however many weapons you choose to. I don't care. But you can attack with them more often than other rangers, or at least more successfully. And then there's also the outwit ranger. Maybe you lay traps and are particularly difficult to avoid. And now, my old favorite, the rogue. Are you a rogue main, Jess? Oh, I love a rogue. Uh, I probably play more sorcerers currently in Pathfinder 2, but I love a rogue a lot. A lot of my Pathfinder 2 characters have the rogue multi-class archetype. I will say I'm a rogue main, which is mm -hmm. why I, I, it's probably my least played class because it's my favorite class. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I, I don't want to fall into that trap of just I always play the rogue, so I never play the rogue. Yeah. If you have played like a 5th edition rogue, I think you're going to find a very satisfying class in the, the Pathfinder 2 rogue. Because you're going to get your sneak attacks. You're going to get your experience of being great at a lot of skills. You're going to get your experience of finding and disabling the traps. And then you're also going to be able to pick your, uh, your thief's racket, is what we call it in Pathfinder. And this is where you're going to choose exactly what type of rogue are you anyway. Like, are you a charismatic diplomancer rogue? Are you like a sneaky, dexterous thief? Are you kind of a bully? There's a lot of different ways that you can build a rogue in Pathfinder 2. Let's not forget the Eldritch Trickster. I don't remember what oh, it's yeah. called, but Arcane Trickster. Level mm -hmm. 1, baby. Oh, yeah. Sorcerer still feels like a sorcerer. You know, you, your magic is based on the magical blood inherent in your ancestors. You're still a spontaneous caster. But uh, the thing that I like best about the Pathfinder 2 Sorcerer is that you're not just casting wizard spells. Depending on the bloodline you pick, you could be casting uh, occult spells, which is the same spell list that the bard gets, or you could be casting primal spells, which is the same uh, spell list that the druid gets, or you could cast divine spells like a cleric. Spo spoiler alert, though, don't don't pick the divine spell list. You're not going to be happy with it as a sorcerer. Oh, I've done it. 
Have you done? How did that go? It went fine. I did that for uh, Aramilla when we played Trouble in Otari. Oh, on the on the No Direction network, you can listen to it now somewhere on the network. <laughs> we also have a wizard. All right, moving on. Yeah, the wizard. You know, it's a wizard. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's gonna. If you're looking for a wizard, this is a wizard. It's gonna. It's gonna do all of the wizard stuff for you. You're gonna pick a spell school to specialize in. You're gonna cast the spells. You're gonna take class feats that are about the spells that you cast. You know, you're a wizard. You know. Wizard. wizard do what wizard do like how yeah. much you know how do you how do you do more with that it's a satisfying wizard experience and i'll tell you how you do more with the wizard yeah and i think most games are good at this is you take the mad you take that idea of i cast magic mm-hmm. and you theme it but a lot of times we do it into other classes you theme it into the sorcerer you theme it into the witch you theme it into i don't know something else oh i like a wizard i like a classic wizard sometimes you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of love for the classic wizard, and and I have none of it. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just, it's too vanilla for me. I say that as someone who's just crazy about rogues and fighters. I'm gonna call the the wizard vanilla. Uh, I've I've played some some pretty great classic wizards. Now, Jess, we do have to address the warlock in the room. Oh yeah, Pathfinder uh, Two does not have a warlock class asterisk yeah specifically there's nothing named warlock but i really feel like all of the flavor all of the mechanics of the warlock you can build it so many different ways yeah yeah so first of all we do have a class where you have like a dark patron that grants you magical power we just call it the witch instead of the warlock so that that's a pretty immediate substitution for a lot of warlock characters, but it's not the only way that you might want to go, depending on the type of warlock that you had been playing. And the witch patron is written to be as specifically vague as you like it to be, just yeah. like in 5e. There's also the oracle, which gets some spooky powers that are also bestowed to them by maybe a god, maybe some kind of other entity. You can decide whatever it is that you would like if you want to create something with kind of a warlock flavor a oracle is an option and we are going to talk a little bit more about these classes later yeah we also have the magus and the magus is like your classic fighter wizard kind of class so this is a great substitute for if you wanted to play something like a hexblade warlock where you have some magic that you can, like, channel through your weapon. You did your homework, Jess. No, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) You threw out Hexblade. You knew something It's written down. It's written down right there in the outline. Who wrote that? (laughs) I don't know. You did. You did your homework. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the psychics are kind of new. Do they fit the warlock very much? They could, depending on what type of warlock you want to make. Now, the psychic doesn't have anything in the class where you're going to, like, pick a patron or pick the source of your power. But if you wanted to be a psychic whose psychic powers were a manifestation of their connection to some kind of uh, other entity, that's totally a flavor that you could pursue with your psychic character. 
Psychics are a full caster with the occult list. They're pretty spooky, and they get abilities for like their conscious mind and their subconscious mind, and they get an ability to unleash their psyche, which like if you've seen uh, Mob Psycho, that's just like mob at 100, right? And so that's definitely nice. an avenue that would work for some warlock type of characters. Now, I know a lot of people who just love the warlock. And why wouldn't you? Because Eldritch Blast is so cool. What's the nearest facsimile to Eldritch Blast, do you think? I think probably the closest thing that we have to Eldritch Blast is going to be on the Kineticist, which is coming out in Rage of Elements. The Kineticist is it's not a spellcaster. It's a martial character. But it's a martial character that gets blast attacks. What kind of blast attacks? Like elemental ones. Like elemental one. Yeah. What a. What about what about if you wanted to use spooky magic, spooky blasts? What are you getting at? I don't know. Oh. That's what Eldritch Blast is. Eldritch Blast is Spooky Blast. Yeah, well, I mean, the you'll have to wait and see what's, what all is in the Kineticist when Rage of Elements releases. Very exciting. Now, even though none of these are perfect facsimiles for the Warlock, don't forget that we've stressed, like, at least a hundred times about the archetype system. Because using that, you can build the warlock that you want to have with all the flavor and most of the mechanics there in mm -hmm. place. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I think are probably immediately most interesting from like a flavor perspective are going to be the Pact Binder. You know, you make pacts. The oh, Eldritch. I forgot about Pact Binder. That's yeah. great. The Eldritch Researcher. You research like elder Eldritch beings. Uh, and the living vessel. You are a living vessel for some kind of freaky entity. Now I'm really wanting to see a kineticist with the pack binder mm -hmm. archetype. Because that would just be really cool. Yeah. If you wanted to make a warlock who is just kind of like unfortunately being uh, watched by some dark foul entity. We also have the curse maelstrom. Like you're super cursed. I forgot about the curse maelstrom. That's actually mm -hmm. a really cool class. And then another option to pursue the kind of Hexblade angle, if you're not into the Magus, is you could be a Mindsmith, where you use your psychic powers of your mind to create, like, like Psylocke, like a weapon. For, for folks who are really old, like, like me, who might remember uh, the grand old days of 3.5 and all the Ooh, crazy yeah. rules that were there, this is the Soul Knife. The yeah. Soul Knife is reborn. It's the Mindsmith now. It's very cool. I think Psychic Warrior might have gotten some, like, Psychic Blade kind of stuff, too. But that's oh, neither here crap. nor there. That's I haven't thought about Psychic Warrior in so long. Yeah. That's nice. That's a blast from the past. Yeah, it's been a long time. Speaking of blasts, can you think of any third-party options that might help with the Warlock feel? Yeah, I can think of a couple. Um, there's a third-party book on Pathfinder Infinite, Sources of Power, by Dorji Sanjeev, and that is going to include some options that kind of change what the source of your power is for various characters. So, like, the Pact Summoner is a summoner that makes a pact with a patron. Or there's going to be the Channeler Witch, 
which is like a witch, except you're going to be charisma-based instead of intelligence-based. There's also Elemental Blaster by Dorji Sanjeev, which, unlike the Kineticist, which is a full class, the uh, Elemental Blaster is an archetype that can give a character of any class an Elemental Blast ranged attack. So that would let you add that kind of Eldritch Blast ability onto any other character. I actually love that. One of my favorite first edition Pathfinder characters was a witch who, instead of having curses, she just threw like fiery blasts of shadow. And it feels like that would be perfect. Oh, and yeah. then when Rage of Elephants comes out, we might even have, what, a first party version of something like that? Mm-hmm. Could so be. We've, so we've talked about kind of the classes that are shared between Pathfinder and Fist. 5th edition, and we went ahead and talked about the Warlock, but I really want to get into I really want to get into some of the classes that might be new to you, coming from 5th edition. Now, I, I will say that we specifically don't have classes labeled the Artificer, or the fan-favorite Bloodhunter, of course, from Critical Role, but we do have a smorgasbord of other new core classes that you might find are quite cool. Yeah, so first of all, we have the Alchemist class. This is another one of the classes that you're going to find in your Pathfinder core rulebook. An Alchemist can, like the name suggests, do some crafting. They're kind of similar to some of your Artificer options that you might be familiar with. Uh, the Alchemist also, though, throws bombs that do splash damage. And depending on how you build your Alchemist, you might be kind of a poisoner, you might be kind of a healer, or you might just be a bomber. In the Advanced Player's Guide, we get some core staples. Classes that are just known and beloved by everyone. My, this includes the Investigator, the Oracle, the Swashbuckler, and the Witch. Now, the Investigator is one of my favorites. They're, they're, they're themed as a detective who is also a marshal. And you use your brains to not only solve cases, but find weaknesses in your foe's defenses. Personally, I think the, the investigator is better themed just as a tactician, you know? I think that pulling the whole solving mysteries out of the class kind of makes it a little better myself. Yeah, the way that the investigator kind of implements the flavor of being like a tactician or like a strategist into the mechanics of the game is really interesting because what the investigator can do is use the devise a stratagem ability which lets them roll a d20 in advance and then depending on what you roll you then get to decide do i want to spend my action making this attack or not it's very cool it's very cool i even use it uh just as an archetype i use the investigator a lot just to get access to devise a stratagem yeah it's very fun so the oracle we already talked about a little bit the oracle is a class where you have uh kind of oracular seer powers bestowed onto you by a god or some other entity. And the thing about the oracle is that you are cursed. And so you choose your oracle mystery that is going to be kind of the way that your powers are. So you might have, uh, it might be a battle oracle. So you have powers about uh, battles or you might be a flames oracle and you can cast fire spells or you might be a lore oracle. And depending on the mystery you take, you also have a curse 
that interacts with that and is going to change what exactly is even going to be a good option for you in combat because every time you use your focus spell from your oracle mystery your curse will get worse but it will also give you more neat powers and so you have the kind of push and pull of do i want to make my curse worse do i want to push this to get these more powerful abilities how like how debilitated do i want to be in this combat you have to balance how far you want to push the envelope with your oracle powers and it's a really fun mechanic speaking yeah. of fun mechanics so let's talk about the swashbuckler you're basically a three musketeer you pick which kind of braggadocious fighting style you want to specialize in and then you gain panache you gain a point of some bonus for using style and this this can be translated into finishing moves or different acts of daring do yeah the swashbuckler's panache lets you really have like flashy explosive moments and so you gain panache by using a skill that you've chosen. So maybe you intimidate the enemy or you tumble around the battlefield and that gives you your panache. And then you choose at what point do you want to expend that to get your really explosive moment. Conceptually, everyone knows what a witch is. Mechanically, what the witch does in Pathfinder then is you're a spellcaster, a primary spellcaster. But unlike a wizard who learns, who keeps their spells in a book, unlike a sorcerer who keeps them in their blood, as a witch, your mysterious dark patron has sent to you an, anim an animal or some other magical familiar of sorts. And you converse with this familiar, you commune with this familiar to gain some of that dark power and hold on to it. So in addition to casting occult spells oh. in that manner you also have the witch is not only an occult spellcaster depending on the patron you pick you could be an arcane or primal or divine caster that's right and no matter which of these patron slash spellless combos you take you will have a whole mechanic for your hexes for your cursing people it's built it's built on the back of the focus spell system but there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that you're a, you're a curse specialist through and through so those are the new classes from the advanced players guide there's also two new classes that were introduced in guns and gears and like we were going over earlier guns and gears is a themed book that gives you guns and clockworks and inventions and those types of things to add into your campaign. So one of the new classes in Guns and Gears, the first new class that was introduced in Guns and Gears is the Inventor. And the Inventor is going to be, for the most part, the, uh, for the most part, the Inventor is going to fill the roles that you would want out of an Artificer. You can be an inventor with like a weapon that you've built or with a suit of armor that you've built, but you can also make an inventor with like a, a construct companion. And so it can be a pet class as well. A fan favorite of Pathfinder, uh, the Gunslinger was the next and last class introduced in Guns and Gears. It 
does what you want a gunslinger to do. Uh, you you have trick shots. You have special ways of reroll of reloading your gun. You pick these different ways of being a gunslinger. You might be a drifter style gunslinger where you use a melee weapon in one hand and a pistol in another, or even a siege engineer where you specialize in two-handed weapons like dwarven shotguns or even artillery cannons if you so like. But really, what kind of makes the gunslinger feel nice to me is that this is the only other class that can match the fighter's attack bonus, but not as dynamically as so. A fighter can hit that attack bonus in a lot of different weapons, in a lot of different ways of doing so. The gunslinger can only do so with firearms no matter what. Yep. We also have new classes introduced in Secrets of Magic. And these are, as you might expect, two spellcasters, but they're different from all of the other spellcasters in Pathfinder. Because they use a system called Bounded Spellcasting, where you get a very limited number of spells, but they're always the highest level of spells that you could cast. And they progress with you as you level up, but you as you get as you get access to higher level spells, you lose your access to the lower levels. I will say, I think that the Magus coming up might be the other fan favorite of Pathfinder. Gunslinger, Magus, mm, Chef's Kiss. Those are what we Pathfinders hold on to real tight. Yeah, the Magus is gonna be your kind of gish uh, spellcaster fighter class that casts spells and imbues them into their weapon and makes spell attacks with their weapon. That's pretty much it, isn't it, for the Magus? I think so. Yeah. There, there are different types of Magus. But they're not really, like, that different. Um, I, don't, I don't know enough to say. The other bounded caster in Secrets of Magic is the Summoner. Now, you could build the Summoner so that you just have all kinds of different critters coming up temporarily in the middle of battle. But really, I think you'd be doing a disservice to your Eidolon, the core Summoner mechanic. You have befriended or entrapped or otherwise made a bargain with a mysterious entity from whatever you, wherever you want it to be from. And now you have the best pet class in the game. Yeah, you can have an angel Eidolon, a demon Eidolon. You can have a dragon Eidolon. Your Eidolon can be the spirit, like a ghost of somebody that your character used to know. There's all sorts of options for where your Eidolon can be from. Yeah, Eidolons are very cool. The summoner is very cool. Yeah, and the most interesting thing about the summoner is that you and your Eidolon... While you are two separate characters, like, on the map, you share hit points, and you also share your actions. There are a few mechanics built in to kind of help you get the most out of your action economy, which is why in the very beginning of this episode, we kind of suggested maybe sticking with the core rule books for a little bit, because this is one of the classes that gets a little in the weeds if -hmm. you're not intimately familiar with the rules already yeah the summoner can be the summoner and a lot of these other classes can be a bit complicated now the newest book that we have or the newest already released book that introduces new classes is the dark archive 
I haven't played a psychic yet, but they look really cool. Yeah, the psychic is an occult spellcaster, and exactly how your psychic works is going to depend a little bit on some choices that you make with the class, choosing both your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. But essentially, the way that the class works is all around cantrips. In Pathfinder 2, you can cast a cantrip as many times per day as you want, and it gets more powerful as you level up, so it, it powers up with you. And the psychic casts the most powerful cantrips of all. A class that I think a lot of Pathfinders maybe don't pay enough attention to. Oh, it's my new favorite. The Thaumaturge? Oh, yeah. I love the Thaumaturge. It is so cool. And for you at home who were just loving the Blood Hunter, I really feel like the Thaumaturge does a lot of what you want it to do. Here's the class. You are a full marshal. You get, what is it, medium armor, you Mm -hmm. get training and martial weapons, but then you also get the ability to pull out bits and bobs of whatever it is you need to to use against a target that you're fighting to give them weaknesses or to exploit weaknesses that they already have. The Thaumaturge is flavored kind of like that guy from The Mummy when he first meets Emotep and he pulls out a hundred necklaces of different deities, and he starts going through them till he finds the one that works. The Thaumaturge is kind of flavored like that, with its esoterica, where you have whatever it is you need on hand, but it's not as silly as that. It's more tactical about it, like, oh, I see that's a werewolf. I pull out these bits of silver to exploit its weakness. And then lastly, uh, in Rage of Elements, which we'll be releasing later this year, uh, like we've teased a couple of times in this stream, the Kineticist will be released, which is a martial character, but they're a martial character who is an elemental blaster. Jess, why you know so much about the Rage of Elements? Oh, you know, if you look on the cover, you're going to see my name there. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. I can't wait to have that book on my shelf. Yeah, it's going to be so cool. I mean, you know, Pathfinder had Pathfinder 2nd Edition hasn't been out for as long. Look, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to go on the front lines of the edition wars. Pathfinder 2nd Edition hasn't been out for as long as Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. And we have four times the books. Yep. Like, it, it, it just seems like a chaotic mess with books always coming out all the time. But it really isn't that chaotic. There's, there's a method to it, right? Yeah, most years we have two design books that release. That's going to be your your core line books, like your, uh, this year we have Treasure Vault that's releasing as our kind of, as we have Treasure Vault as the winter release, and then we have uh, Rage of Elements as the summer release, and then the Lost Omens books come out roughly three times a year or quarterly. Adventure Path, so a new volume, releases every month. And then there's also Pathfinder Society scenarios, which are like single-session adventures. And we also have new uh, Pathfinder Society scenarios every month, too. That's a lot of books. Jeez, Jess, the whole reason we even did this episode was because we were getting all of these fan requests to convert their 5th edition characters into 2nd edition. And yeah. look at this, we're already at like an hour long. Yeah, we don't have time for that today, but uh, 
If you listen to uh, next week's episode of Legend Lore, we'll be converting some user-submitted 5e characters into Pathfinder 2nd Edition, including a Water Genasi Warlock submitted by Twitter user Ruiz. So will Ruiz's Warlock shore up to be a witch or a beach-bound oracle? Tune in next time to find out how the tides have turned for Ruiz. That's my favorite. I guess it's time to wave goodbye to you listeners because that's all we have for you today. Make sure to check out the rest of our content on the No Direction Network. If you like this show or any of our other blogs or shows, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash no direction because it's the support of our patrons that make this all possible. It's almost like we're the warlocks. Oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. It took me a minute. I had to sit there. I had to sit there. We were the real warlocks all along. Uh, But until next time, I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. Thanks for listening to Legend Lore. And as always, it's been a level 7 ritual. (laughs)